Are you guys good? You feeling good? Good. I'm glad you're peppy because guess what we're going to talk about tonight, my friends? We are going to talk about doubt. Can you say that with a smile on your face? Doubt. I love doubt. What a fun time. So we've been in a series, if you have not been with us, called The End, discussing everything about end times, where are we in space and time with what Jesus says in the Bible about what's going to happen, what is happening, and how we can be anchored to Jesus in the middle of that. So if you've missed that, we've talked about rapture, tribulation, finding peace, the mark of the beast, the antichrist, all of the fun topics that really jazz you up for summer, we have covered them. So we would love for you to go back into our archives and watch those. But the reason why we felt so strongly as a teaching team that we needed to discuss doubt is because it's something that we all deal with, right? I don't think anyone would shout like, yes, I'm a doubter. But we are, I'm a doubter, right? And so we find so many places in scripture where Jesus has plenty of examples of doubters. He put in there because he knew that we would be able to relate to them. And he wanted to reassure us that it's okay to have questions. It's okay if you're hearing this series. And I've had conversations with people who attend this church who are like, you know what, I don't know that hell is real. I don't know why we're talking about this series on the end because I don't believe hell is a real place. How do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that my salvation is secure? When we're talking about this series and you hear scripture that says, depart from me, I never knew you, right? It causes and stirs all of these things in our hearts and in our minds. And I really believe that the Lord wants to come tonight and to just give you some stability, to remind you that you can stand on him in the middle of your doubting, of your questions. He's not afraid of them. He doesn't ask you to keep them to yourselves, right? And the the scriptures that we're gonna talk about tonight specifically, actually every disciple that we're gonna discuss, they address their doubts in the midst of community. Why? Because if we can openly come to one another as lovers of Jesus, the family, of Christ, right? Like we're standing together. We can be reminded of what God has done and what he's yet to do so that we can stand firm in the middle of that. So I'm gonna address tonight three different kinds of doubt. And I'm not claiming that these are the only three. I'm just taking topical forms of doubt that we see in scripture. And we're gonna talk about some of those. So the Greek word for doubt means to separate, to distinguish, to judge, to properly investigate thoroughly. I personally love that one. I love to just dig in to translations, to ask the hard questions. Confession time, I recently purchased a beautiful book called The Big Book of Bible Difficulties. It has pretty much every issue in the Bible that could ever make you doubt. And it goes straight at it with scripture, no answers, right? But why not? because Jesus is in the midst of it all. And so I love this, I love investigating thoroughly the heart of God, the word of God. We are called in scripture to divide the scripture, right? We wanna search it out. And so if you find yourself in this room and you've been a part of this series that we were walking through, and you can relate to that, you know that maybe you've left and with your friends or your spouse, you've had some hard conversations, Well, we're all in the same boat tonight. So the first thing 
that we're going to talk about is intellectual doubt. Do we have any intellectuals in the room? You just love facts and figures. Nobody's raising their hand. I know you're in here. But this category of doubt typically are going to be doubts about God. Okay, doubts about creation. Is God real? Are heaven and hell real? Would God send, or would a loving God send people to hell? Is there only one faith or religion that's welcomed into heaven? Is the Bible the word of God? Did Jesus rise from the dead, right? We, we want to find facts and figures, these intellectual doubts that we have that we feel like maybe if we get a little more information, then we can feel secure. The second category is spiritual doubts. And personally, when I was reading through all of these stories on spiritual doubts, I think it ties in naturally with self-doubt. Why? Because Jesus, as we walk a spiritual journey, he chooses to partner with us. And so we end up saying, why me? Am I good enough? Can I speak clearly enough? Can God use me? And so, will God receive me? Can God really forgive me? These are doubts that we have with feelings of shame and inadequacy. Am I really a Christian? Why do I still feel guilty? Why is it hard for me to pray? All of these questions that we have. The third kind is circumstantial. Circumstantial doubts. So the whys of life. This category can encompass the trials of life, attacks of the enemy. Why did I lose my job? Why did this relationship end? Where was God when? Fill in the blank. Right? Pastor Dan addressed this really on, early on in the series of maybe God hasn't come through in a really specific way that you anticipated he would. And that's led to a lot of questions, and that's understandable. But let me tell you tonight that God wants to reveal himself to you. And all throughout scripture, what we see is that Jesus chooses to encounter people in the midst of their doubt so that they would receive his love and be able to choose faith. So what biblical examples do we have? I have a long, long list, and maybe you have more ideas on this, but some doubters. Here we go. Adam, Eve, Moses, Job, David, Abraham, Sarah, Gideon, Elijah, the Pharisees, John the Baptist. The list can go on and on and on. And why did they doubt? Why is that like almost a bad word? You know, I don't know if you've ever heard the term doubting Thomas. And people are like, what a doubter. But we're right in the same camp with him. And I love that Jesus included this in scripture so that we would realize that it's okay. He's really comfortable with your humanity and with my humanity. And that's a beautiful thing. So I love this quote. I have a couple quotes tonight from a pastor that I like to listen to um, at a church in Kansas. His name is Pastor Rob Wagner. And he said this, the Bible is a dump truck full of doubters. And God doesn't give up on any of them. We're all in the truck together, right? And so when I started preparing for this message, 
This scripture that stood out to me so much on just how Jesus handles doubt. Jude 1.22 says, have mercy on those who doubt. And we see that consistent with the character of Jesus when we read scripture. Have mercy. And so in this room, if you're walking through that personally, if you're walking through that season of questioning with someone else, have mercy on one another. Have mercy on yourself. We can be our own worst critics, and I feel like that's a word for someone in this room tonight. I'm just feeling that in my spirit. Have mercy on yourself. Disciples are not people who never doubt. They doubt and they worship. They doubt and they serve. They doubt and they help each other out with their doubts. To be a community where everybody can be open about their faith and be open about their doubts, what a great gift. Again, that's Pastor Rob Wagner. What a great gift. This is the, the context of community that we've been gifted with that we can work through we can fight through our doubts. So my example tonight, and we have a lot of scripture, so we're going to try to kind of move quickly through some of this, but an intellectual doubter in the Bible, we have Thomas. So Thomas and his intellectual doubts. So we're picking up scripture here in John 14, and this is before the crucifixion, but you have to realize this is after Jesus' entire time in ministry on earth spent with his disciples, and this is where we find Thomas's mindset, okay? John 14, 1 through 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. So he's very actualized, okay? He knows right off the bat, hey, don't worry, right? We always say that, no worries, and you're like, hey, I'm full of worries. This verse is for you, okay? Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, would I have told you that I would go to prepare a place for you? And I'm going to just pause there really quick because the one thing that I get the most excited about when we think about having doubts in our eternal security or any questions that we may have, this whole series should point us to the good news that Jesus is preparing a place for you and me. He is coming again. Are we excited about that? Can we say that we believe, that we know, that we've internalized, and that we will take a step of faith to say, yes, he is preparing a place for me. He is coming again. That is such good news. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And I love this. Thomas said to him, um, nope. Nope. We don't, thanks so much. How can we know the way? And so again, you have to think about the context of the scripture. Thomas has just spent years with Jesus. And he's like, I'm sorry, no, we actually don't know the answer. <laughs> and Jesus doesn't take a Bible and hit him over the head. He simply says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if you've been in church for any amount of time, Maybe you've heard, like I have, that this Bible verse gives us an excuse to be an exclusive club, right? This is true. There is one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus. Thank you, Father. But this actually wasn't meant in this context to exclude everybody else. This was meant to say, because Jesus is so relational, because he wants to walk and talk and be near 
He was saying, Thomas, it's okay. All you have to do is know me. You don't need all of the details right now because Thomas was having trouble trusting. And if you're anything like me in this room, I probably have trouble with that on a daily basis. Trusting to the level that I would want and that I see in scripture. Jesus is the way to the Father and not the details. And Thomas wanted all of the details in that moment. But to this day, because Jesus knew that there would be doubters in this room, right? Instead of giving every detail about where we're going and how we'll get there, he was just saying, know me, walk with me. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And all of us can lean into that tonight. Jesus knew when this was happening that it wasn't just gonna be Thomas. It was gonna be all of us as well. And so he invites us to know him. So now we're picking up, this is after the crucifixion and after Jesus appears to the disciples and Thomas is already back in that space, okay? So John 20, 24 through 29 says this. Now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark, I'm so sorry, place my finger into the mark and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them this time. And I love this actually. This is kind of like sneaky pranky Jesus right here. It says, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. That would be kind of like shocking, right? So he just like, Hey guys, on the scene, cool. Those are the details that I love in scripture, but here we go. He says, peace be with you. He said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So what I want you to catch here. Thomas is still wrapped up in this cycle of doubt. Jesus doesn't shame him, he does not condemn him, and he doesn't embarrass him in front of his friends. But what he does is he says, let me come to you in your place of questioning and let me reassure you. Think about the power of this move that Jesus made. He is a humble and loving leader and friend, that he would come and say, here, here are my hands. Come and touch my side. See the things that you need. Here's whatever proof you need, I'll give it to you because I love you. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, and again, this is because he knew that there would be doubters in this room. He said, have you believed because you have seen me? Jesus knew that he couldn't physically come give you his hands the way that he did Thomas that day. And so he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What a privilege it is for us in this room today that we actually get to be a part of that group of people. We've encountered him. We haven't been able to grab his hand in the physical, tangible sense yet. 
but that we would choose to believe. Jesus is calling us today to take that step of faith to believe. Are we willing to take that step? And what I love about this is with Thomas, even after he had all of the facts, Jesus was saying, hey, now you have all of the information, you've seen the evidence, but you're still going to have to take a step of faith. So the second kind of doubt is spiritual and self-doubt. And we're going to talk about Peter. We're picking up in John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, all the bros, the two disciples were all together. I'm going out to fish, Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So again, this is picking up after the resurrection, when Jesus has appeared to the disciples. And we have to remember who Peter was and what he played, right? So he has denied Jesus three times before Jesus goes to the cross, raises from the dead. And so when we're looking at Peter in this story, he is riddled with guilt. He knows that it was so hurtful to Jesus, that it was a sin, that it was betrayal. And he's trying to deal with all of those inner questions of how could he ever forgive me? Can you imagine the person that you denied and they were killed and now they walk into the room? Can you even? It is like mind boggling. And so here Peter is, and I love listening to this story because again, if we really look at the details, Peter in this place feels so disqualified from absolutely everything in the journey he's taken with Jesus that what does he do? He goes back to the only thing that he ever knew before Jesus, and it was fishing. Because he thinks there's nothing that Jesus could have for me beyond this. This is my life now. So he's like, hey, I'm going to go fishing. And all of his friends are like, cool, man, we'll come with you. Well, it doesn't go super well. They caught nothing that night. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, again, this is John's book, so he's going to talk about himself all the time, the one who Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, only about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So again, put yourself in Peter's shoes. You recognize that it's Jesus. And I love this. I love breakfast. I don't know if we have any breakfast lovers in the room. Amen. We can start a club. But um, Jesus here is like, hey, my friends, I've prepared breakfast for you. Peter recognizes that it's Jesus, and Jesus is so beautifully displaying that he wants Peter. He wants what Peter has to offer. So Jesus has already made breakfast. We just read that. The breakfast has already been cooked. 
but he still says, bring some fish. Let's make the fish. Let's, let's receive everything that you have. Hi, I'm Jesus. I told you where to cast your net. Everything that you have is from me, but I still want what you have to bring. Bring it to me. So Simon Peter climbed onto the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Notice here, if you think about it, I would probably, or I will say, when I have a conflict, I personally want to solve it right away. I want there to be resolve. I want to work through it. But when we look at this, Jesus isn't rushing Peter. Peter is in this process of asking questions, of working through guilt and shame, and Jesus didn't come and say, we have to be right right now. He's letting Peter know that he just wants to be with him. I want to be around you. I, I need what you have to bring to the table because I've given it to you so that we can do this together. Jesus is repairing a relationship in this process. So this is the third time When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. So Jesus said, feed my lambs. Jesus repeats this. Verse 17, we see he repeats it three times, which is how many times Peter denied Jesus. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I love that it includes this. It says, Peter was hurt. Have you ever been hurt because someone didn't maybe take your, your word at face value the first time? Okay? So he says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. When we read this, we see Jesus really gently touching this place in his relationship with Peter that was broken, where Peter had shame. And Jesus isn't doing that to shame him or to bring these questions to the surface, but he's actually doing that to bring healing. So sometimes we may find our, ourselves in a place of doubt and feel like the Lord is gently pushing back with other questions. He's doing that not because he doesn't know the answer, but because he wants each one of us to receive healing in those areas of our deepest doubts. Ooh, Jesus. We just come to you right now for the people in the room who have been pointing a finger at themselves for a really long time. And God, we thank you that that is not your heart. That is not your character to point your finger back at us. But Lord, you are wanting reconciliation in this room tonight. And so I pray for each of our hearts to just be open to receive forgiveness from you, 
to repent of maybe the patterns that we've walked in, but then to forgive ourselves as well so that we can walk in the fullness of relationship. God, we thank you that you can walk to each person in this room and just the way that Jesus did with Peter, you can gently push on those areas of just self-condemnation and hurt and bring healing. And so we invite the healing of your Holy Spirit tonight. We invite you, Jesus, to have your way. Amen. So this third type of doubt, circumstantial doubt, and I love this story. This is found in Mark 9. Starting at verse 17, it says, Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So basically what he's saying is like, hey guys, you've seen how I roll everywhere we go. And you know that I'm always going to go to the one who needs help, so just go ahead and bring him. So they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell to the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. So imagine yourself in this dad's situation. He's desperate. He doesn't understand why this has been his son's entire life. He doesn't understand the judgments necessarily of people and all of the hardship that it's caused. And especially in that society, the shame that you have knowing that that's in your family and what that means for you as an individual, what it represents in your life. He had a lot of questions, but he came immediately to Jesus. Verse 23, or I'm sorry, verse 22. It has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Can we all relate to that? Like, Lord, I believe, I want to believe, I want to see this, I want to stand in truth, I want to stand on you. But even with that, all of the corners in my mind, please help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. The remedy to doubt, even in the situation we see, is not having all of the answers. The dad knew that he couldn't bring a solution to the table and fix it, but he knew he could call upon his helper. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Help 
have compassion on us and help us. If you are in a place of doubt tonight, would that be your prayer? Lord, have compassion on me. Help my unbelief. Jesus didn't push Thomas away or shame him. Jesus didn't rush Peter and his process. Jesus didn't abandon the father and son because of his unbelief. And he won't do those things to you either. We know that we can stand on this promise in scripture, that we can call upon our helper. And I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you tonight, just as we see in all of these stories where maybe we have so many questions or we're working through so many things and we find ourselves at a crossroads where we don't have the answers. Jesus exhorts and challenges us to take a step of faith. There's something about faith that doesn't make sense. And I know that confounds our minds, that's hard for us to process, but he is worthy of a step of faith. He has taken every step towards us so that we have a like, completely solid foundation. When we take that step, we will never falter. He is right there to receive us. I was reading a book by Rachel Held Evans. If you are familiar with her, she has tons of books. Some are very controversial, but a lot about struggling with doubt and asking questions and talking about how Jesus just, he's not afraid of your questions. And she has this quote. She said, I would argue that healthy doubt, questioning one's beliefs, is perhaps the best defense against unhealthy doubt which is questioning God. When we know how to make a distinction between our ideas about God and God himself, our faith remains safe. I'm gonna read that again. When we know how to make a distinction between our ideas about God and God himself, his character, who he is, who he's proved himself to be, our faith remains safe would we find ourselves in that safe and solid ground, in a safe space that says, Jesus, I don't understand, but I'm gonna take that step. Jesus, I don't understand. I have a lot of questions, but I'm going to choose trust. Jesus, I don't understand, but I will worship. Jesus, I don't understand, but I will serve. We will never overcome every doubt and every question that we have on this side of heaven. And I just wanna say that plain and clear, and I'm sorry if that's really bad news for you tonight, but if you find yourself in a place where you have no questions and doubts, you're in heaven. That's good news. But he was just reassuring us all along the way. I'll show you my hands, I'll show you the holes in my hands, I'll show you my sides that were pierced. I'll come sit with you in your questioning. I will never abandon you, but I will always ask you to trust me as your father. So tonight, if you find yourself in any of these camps, intellectual doubt, self-doubt, spiritual doubt, circumstantial doubt, really just feeling uncertain and unsure of where to go and why things are happening the way that they are, let's invite Jesus to encounter us in that place. Instead of trying to maybe turn off our line of communication with him, let's invite him in. Let's bring those questions to him. Let's allow him to bring healing to our places of shame and, and 
confusion and just let him set us straight like only he can do. Jesus is the only one who can bring that stability to hearts and minds tonight. And if you are a perpetual doubter, I want to encourage you and tell you this. It is not disobedience and it is not sinful to doubt and have questions. Disobedience is the step that follows, right? Sin is the step that follows. It's, it's how we handle what we do with our doubt and with our questions. Doubts do not disqualify your faith. They don't mean that you're not a believer. And doubts can serve as a catalyst to stronger faith if we will allow them. So Jesus, tonight we just say thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who had so much preparation and forethought for the people that you love, that you gave us story after story in scripture of things that we would walk through, of feelings that we would have, of inadequacy that we would feel, and struggles that we would walk through. Lord, and I thank you that we're not alone. I pray right now against all condemnation, shame, self-doubt, I pray against the feeling of isolation when questioning comes. I pray that this specific body of believers here at Shine, God, that no matter where we are and who we meet, that we would be a safe space, that people wouldn't feel condemned for having questions, but that we would be able to say with certainty, bring your questions here because we know the one who is preparing a place for you. Lord, we thank you for those promises. We pray for healing. We pray for um, hearts and minds and a hunger and an appetite to just dive into your word and to wrestle through these things, to have free conversations with the people around us and to know that you are right there in our midst. You are in the midst of our doubt. And how do you meet us in our doubt? How did you meet Thomas and Peter and this father? Lord, you met them with love. And we thank you that you approach us and you meet us in the very same way, with great love. And so I ask for hearts to be open to receive your love. And I pray against the lies of the enemy that would say to any person that they've asked too many questions or they've done too many things that they're too far gone to be able to even be a person at all who can receive your love. I thank you that you call every single person in this room a son and a daughter. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us to process through our doubt with you and with your Holy Spirit to encounter you in the midst and to learn more about you, Lord. We want to know you. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.